Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode three of series six of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. The case for diversity and inclusion in the workplace is compelling, not just because it is the right thing to do, but because numerous studies suggest it can drive better business performance too. It is disappointing therefore that progress, as confirmed by McKinsey's Women in the Workplace 2019 study, remains slow, not just in gender, but in all areas of diversity and inclusion. A statistic that really emphasises the challenge ahead comes from the World Economic Forum, which estimates that the global pay gap between men and women will take 202 years to close. Our guest on today's episode is Zara Nanu, and she brings data science to the art of developing productive, engaged and diverse teams, and improving decision-making when it comes to people. In our conversation, Zara and I discuss why the topic of gender and fair pay is increasing in importance, the role of people analytics and data science, as well as some of the challenges involved in data collection when it comes to gender and fair pay. We talk about some of the examples of organisations who are leading the way when it comes to gender and fair pay and the wider diversity and inclusion space. And as with all our guests, we look into the crystal ball and ponder what the role of HR will be in 2025. This episode is a must-listen for anyone in an HR leadership or people analytics role, as well as HR and business professionals interested in how people data can drive business outcomes and support initiatives around gender and equal pay, as well as the wider diversity and inclusion area. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 6 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. As research increasingly shows how important diversity is for business, companies worldwide strive to ensure their teams are inclusive, productive and remunerated fairly. GATSquare offers employers insightful pay analytics software and assessment, working with global corporations to measure and take action around inclusion and fair pay. Take a look at GATSquare's current framework, benchmark your work and learn where you need to invest your efforts to foster change today. As competition for talent increases, there's never been a better time to accelerate fair play. Learn more, head to gatsquare.com forward slash accelerate. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Zara Nanu, CEO and co-founder of GapSquare to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Zara, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks, David. Can you provide listeners with a quick introduction to you and your background? Yeah, so um, I ran a company called GapSquare, and we set up GapSquare four years ago when the World Economic Forum released a report where they said, globally, the gender pay gap, the difference in pay between men and women is 60%, and it will take 217 years to close that gap. It's not too long then. No. So at the same time, the World Economic Forum was releasing reports saying that by 2030, most of us will be in self-driving cars, and we will be watching people go off to Mars. By 2030, healthcare will be happening at home because we'll have so many tech devices and innovation. And at the same time, we'll be somehow still 200 years away from achieving pay parity. So that's when we thought, is there a way in which we can actually look at using technology and data and analytics to help accelerate that progress in a similar way that we accelerate everything else in our lives? So we've set up GapSquare with a view of developing tech to help accelerate progress and achieve pay parity much faster. Great, that's a great introduction. And you're an expert, obviously, on this on this topic, and 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 those of pay transparency and and gender and ethnicity pay gap analysis. So, for benefit of the listeners, what do we mean by fair pay? Fair pay? So, when when we we initially we started by looking just at the gender pay gap, but then we saw how much more encompassing issues around pay equality are within a company. So now we started to look broader at fair pay to include things like. 
the gender pay, ethnicity pay gaps, executive pay even. I think it was at the beginning of January, third day into January, top executives in the UK already have received much more than average pay for the entire year for most of the workers in the UK. So it's executive pay, it's living wage, uh, fair wage, and overall ensuring that people get remunerated and compensated fairly for the work and, and the passion and the drive that they put within their workplaces. And actually, I was, I was hearing uh, this morning, actually, um, that executives can earn in about 39 hours what their average worker earns yeah. in a whole year. Yeah. So there's yeah. definitely a problem that needs fixing. Yeah. And it's getting, and certainly from an executive pay perspective, it's getting wider, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. And interestingly enough, January this year is the first month when companies that are publicly trading in the UK have to report on their executive pay alongside other kind of reporting requirements. So we're going to see more and more attention being paid to that executive pay and how it compares to average employees. Good. I'll be good to, I'll be watching that one with interest. Um, so why is the topic of gender and fair pay uh, increasing in importance? Well, we see kind of, initially we started because of the World Economic Forum report and because of the kind of the, the need to, to look at this issue, why there's an ethical um, yeah. side of things. But then the more we looked into it, the more we saw that businesses are equally interested and there's things around acquiring and retaining top talent. There's things around regulation that's being introduced around the world in regards to fair pay, gender pay, ethnicity pay, as well as the overall demand within companies to actually get to grips with this and understand what is happening within their companies. Perfect. So let's look at those three areas in a bit more detail. So start, starting off with talent. Yeah. So, so in terms of talent, uh, we were having uh, a look at some interesting reports from Glassdoor, but also in conversations with our customers around talent retention and talent acquisition. And uh, in terms of, of talent retention, 52% of employees are likely to leave a job if they find out that they're being paid unfairly and if they could be paid more fairly somewhere else or if other of their colleagues compared to their colleagues or compared to other kind of people in other departments in the organization they feel that they're not being paid fairly and Glassdoor is really opening that door for yeah. everyone to be able to see that data. Um, of those 52% of employees who would leave a large majority are in senior roles so that is a major problem for companies and they're increasingly coming up against that and having to take decisions on how to ensure more fair pay and retain that talent. Uh, in terms of regulation, countries around the world are introducing legislation around reporting on the gender pay gap. For instance, in the UK, there's legislation that requires companies with over 250 employees to report on their gender pay gap on an annual basis. The US has legislation in different states in the US around equal pay, but also um, ethnicity and gender pay reporting for companies that provide services or products to the federal government. So right. now they're having to look into that. France has a more stringent legislation that they've introduced last year around the gender pay gap where they plan to start penalizing companies if they have a gender pay gap that is higher than 9%. Germany has legislation. So overall, the world is moving into towards legislating and regulating this space a bit more. So this is an added pressure for companies to start looking into fair pay and understanding what the pay differences are within their companies. Um, and while they do that, there's, there's research from Gartner that shows that a lot of these companies are not sure that what they're doing is the right thing and uh, if what they're doing will generate results. Yeah. Um, and we have a very clear example of this um, from Salesforce where Mark Benioff has um, commissioned an equal pay, gender pay 
analysis a few years ago uh, with a view of proving that there is no gender pay gap in Salesforce. And then the data came back showing that there is a gender pay gap <laughs> in Salesforce. And he needed about $3 million to, to close the gap. So he's convinced everyone to put that $3 million in, close the gap, proudly flying the flag of uh, closing the gender pay gap, only so that a year later, when they look at data again, they were $1 million short of closing the gender pay gap. Because within that space, people have moved in and out of the company, they've yeah. moved into different roles. So that highlights how the approach that you take is not always the one that would work. So it's, it's, it highlights why there's demand for companies to understand better how they can address this that is in a way that's cost effective, in a way that will keep employees satisfied and also will uh, keep them compliant with legislation. And interesting what you said around the talent part, actually, that it can actually make the difference for companies to retain really important talent, you know, whether it's senior or, or, or scarce skills, for example, it can actually make the difference, Absolutely. whether they can hire and retain. Absolutely. Pay still continues to, to be on the agenda when it comes to attracting top talent. Yes, we have increasingly younger generations that are millennials and Generation X and, and all other latter letters of the alphabet that are really interested in, in vision and passion uh, and and the kind of the drive of the company and the ethics of the company but pay still is part of that and pay fairness actually is is even mm. bigger part of that well it says a lot about a company if they don't have fair pay really yeah. doesn't it so what are the business objectives that gender and equal pay feed into uh, so from our conversation with businesses, really, the, the objectives are twofold. One is companies that are more diverse and are more inclusive are more likely to have higher returns compared to their competitors. There's research from McKinsey, but also Harvard in terms of productivity increase, uh, increase in share price growth for companies that have higher proportion of um, women within their top quartiles than they currently do. Uh, there's higher returns for companies that are more ethnically diverse in terms of returns on investment in terms of share price growth, market acquisition, and market growth. Uh, there's also the other side of developing products and services that are fit for the wider population. Because yeah. if you think around gender, uh, then we have 51% of the population is women. And if a company wants to develop products and services that are fit for everyone, they want to make sure that within their teams, they have a diverse representation that will think about everything in an all-rounded kind of manner. It seems so obvious, doesn't it? But so why are companies so slow to respond to this? Is it because most boards are made up of a bunch of white men in their 50s trying to, to, trying to tackle diversity and, and not really knowing where to start? Well, I think it's a, it's that, that is a catch-22 kind of question because the boards are what they are because of the lack of women coming through the yeah. pipeline into top executive roles. Um, and I think it's a legacy that we've inherited and we just need to find a way to accelerate that progress and ensure that we facilitate for women to come through and for ethnic minorities to come through into more senior roles and make their way into boards. And on the board question, it's an interesting one because I was recently in California and California has introduced legislation that requires boards to have a certain composition that is ethnically and gender diverse. So that is pushing companies even further into thinking how they're going to diversify what they do within the company so they can ensure that they have the talent that they can then put on those boards. And we're seeing that in some of the Nordic countries as well, who've kind of led the way around that, haven't they, around legislating for diversity with it at board level? Yeah, yeah. 
That's, uh, that's pretty good. Um, so can you provide an example of an organisation who is managing, who are managing the topics of fair pay and gender and equal pay well and demonstrating this in, in business outcomes? So the, the key companies that are looking into this is uh, the, the companies that I would say are doing better at this are the companies who are being more transparent about this. Uh, when, for instance, in the UK legislation came in around the gender pay gap, it was inevitable that more than half of the companies in the UK are going to show a gender pay gap Um, and it's going to continue to show a gender pay gap for the next decade at least because we're talking about quite significant gaps for some organizations but it's being transparent about those gaps and being transparent about how they're going to address those gaps that's going to have most impact so for instance we've seen uh, companies like Nestle and they were previously on one of your podcasts talking about how they are looking internally at using data and understanding where the gender pay gap stemming from Uh, but also we recently uh, gave an award to Diageo for producing the best gender pay gap report of last year and the way they look at the gaps and how they address the gaps and how they're being transparent about them and how they're communicating them to their employees we've spoken to so many companies where they have had no communication with their employees around the gender pay gap and that is one of the biggest pitfalls because it's not in have the problem is not about having the gap the problem is how are you addressing that gap yeah. how are you finding out why does your company have that gap yeah is it is it a problem when we're recruiting people or is it a problem when we're promoting people all that sort of stuff and yeah. each company will be different we see a lot of uh, companies that come from engineering and tech backgrounds where the problem is around recruitment and then it stems into a career progression and then we see a lot of other companies that are female dominated for instance they have more than 50% of the workforce is women but then they have significant issues with career progression and a lot of the departments and teams are led by men so it's about understanding where exactly in each company is that glass ceiling why is it there and what can we do with data to help smash it and create more equality and fairness for everyone. And I guess the very fact that companies are now having to report on this those of if we look at the UK those with 250 people or more, as you say, or employees or more, now having to report at least that's something is forcing companies to at least look at the issue and understand where they are. And hopefully then, as you said, being transparent and communicating that within the organisation and then doing something about it. Yeah, and, and legislation is still very new. This year is going to be only the third year when companies report their numbers. A lot of companies are still kind of starting to understand what it is they're reporting on. Um, and it's going to take a while, but employees and, and the younger generations coming into the workforce are increasingly taking note of that data and looking at it. And we see reports from Hayes, for instance, or other recruitment companies in the UK that are showing over 70% of new recruits are interested in finding out what's happening with diversity and inclusion policy within uh, companies before they take on a job with that company. So it's it's a big priority issue for the workforce and and companies are kind of trying to marry up their culture with their data with their vision of where they want to go and how they want to attract and retain top talent to make it all come together yeah um so what is the role of um data and people and so you touched on it a little bit there what is the role of data and people analytics in the fair pay and gender pay gap analysis so there's, it's a big role, actually, because it's a role that can, it's people who can look at the data holistically, data within the company, data that comes from finance, that comes from HR, that comes from payroll, put it all together and try and understand and decompose that gender pay gap and understand where exactly it stems from. 
Um, and interestingly enough, we've seen across a lot of companies in the UK, but also outside, kind of key themes emerging across all industries. And, and they're themes around recruitment and the way we recruit people and the way we recruit talent. Uh, it's things around uh, caring responsibilities uh, that people get to have at certain ages um, and that is having an impact on the like gender pay gap and age. Um, and it's occupational segregation still, because we still live in a society where we still think about certain occupations as being fit for men and certain occupations yeah. as being more fit for women. Um, and actually the role of people analytics is significant because they can help companies rethink why it is that we still do this and how we can shift into a direction where we're being more creative about how we recruit, how we promote and how we move people around into different departments. We've seen, for instance, how um, a lot of companies have made um, significant progress in terms of their innovation and productivity when they've moved people from marketing department into tech department, and people from tech department into HR, to kind of bring more creativity and yeah. new thinking into that department and so that we can start thinking more about using data outside the box in a kind of way. And I think you referred, obviously, to Nestle as an example, and obviously Jordan was on the podcast last um, earlier this year. Yeah. Uh, no, last year, in fact, actually, he was getting my years mixed up already. Um, and I think there are other people analytics teams, you know, because obviously you, yeah. you came to a workshop that we did at Insight 222 a few, week, a few weeks before Christmas, and um, the interest level and around this topic is, is very high with people analytics teams. Absolutely, and it was actually not only last year, it was last decade. It was last decade. Wow. Uh, but, <laughs> I'm starting to feel old now. <laughs> uh, it was interesting because when we had the conversations with people analytics teams that you brought together in Amsterdam and we ran that short poll around how big of an issue is this for your company right now or will be in the next six months uh, or not of interest at all, more than 75% said that this is an issue either right now or in the immediate six months. So um, it is something that companies are increasingly having to look into. And some of the teams we were talking to uh, in Amsterdam were saying that they're already being tasked with that and they're yeah. already having to look into it. Uh, and when you, when you don't necessarily come from a background of equality and diversity and understanding things like gender bias around data, then it's really difficult to kind of piece it all together. But as analysts, that's a, data speaks and, and data tells us a lot of things that we sometimes try to deny or we sometimes have stereotypes around. And we can start to connect the dots a little bit with, you know, there's the reporting and then we can start connecting it to stuff yeah. that you know, where we can actually have an impact and make changes. Yes, absolutely. And it's about looking at data that comes from different points and trying to understand how it relates to one another. So if you look at rewarding compensation data, but also look at performance and look at how long the person has been in the company and training and skills, uh, then it all can start coming together uh, and pointing clearly into steps that can help facilitate uh, quicker returns and can help the company make progress. Now, one thing that came very clear in the workshop is actually this is a far more complex topic than, than I certainly initially thought. Um, and what are some of the typical issues that, that companies, particularly larger companies, face when they're collecting data for gender and fair play analysis? So there's, there's a lot of intricacies around data. First of all, because the larger the company, the more likely the data comes from different points. Um, uh, in, the, the key thing is that HR data and payroll data already come from most of the times from different points. And then if you try to add into that 
finance data and uh, performance data and, for instance, sales results and outcomes data, if you're looking at sales teams, then it becomes even more complex. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it's a kind of rubbish in, rubbish out situation and you need to make sure that you know what you're looking for when you start pulling all that data together so that you can make the most of it. But um, data cleaning and and data augmentation is, is a big thing. We work with a lot of companies that are, for instance, groups, and they have grown with um, acquisitions and mergers. So they have a lot of different parts of the organization that have completely different systems where they um, have completely different grade levels uh, and job levels to other parts of the organization. And then how do you really begin to compare those? Yeah, And you can get other things, can't you, where... Where, where people haven't been promoted, so it looks like they're paid more than some of their counterparts, but there's actually a barrier to, to, to maybe from, from females being promoted. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it sometimes comes down to people just having to sit down and, and look at after pay reviews, so ideally before pay reviews, but oftentimes it happens after pay reviews when they look and they say, well, how come these people have had a pay increase at the end of the year when they haven't been promoted or moved up into the next job level and we have other people who've, whose pay hasn't shifted. Mm. Um, so that's when a lot of the questioning happens and um, a lot of the um, answers can lead to significant change. I guess you can give a false, false impression sometimes. The company might, the executives might, well, we don't have a problem with gender pay because actually our females are paid very highly, but actually it's because they're at the top of the, the grade that they can get to, and they've been there, and there's a problem with promotion. Absolutely, and the, the interesting thing is that when you look at the gender pay gap, for instance, or ethnicity pay gap, there's two figures you can look at, and that's the mean and the median. Yeah. Uh, and when you look at the mean, that can easily be skewed by promoting a few women into more senior roles, and then the organisation could be like, well, we've shifted 5% uh, yeah. from last year to this year, but actually within the wider span of the organization, nothing has really happened, which which is why Office for National Statistics recommends that the median is taken as a more of an indicator of the kind of the situation within the company. So how does GapSquare help organizations confront the challenges that we've discussed so far? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting question. So initially, we've set up the company because we wanted to help develop a piece of tech, a piece of software that helps companies keep this issue within their own company because no one understands your company better than the people who work for the company and take decisions within the company. So we wanted to build a platform that helps them understand key issues around their data, but then they can um, interpret those within the context of their own culture and within the context of their plans and kind of the history of the organization but also the future plans for growth yeah so we kind of help address a few issues through our platform and that's issues around data and understanding what kind of data you need in order to have a better understanding of the gaps within your company and how you can create more fair pay Uh, issues around ethics in data and kind of controlling and preventing for the fact that organizations historically have data that is uh, will show a more male-dominated world. So if we just use analysis to look at current data the way it is, then it will show us that men are more likely to belong in more senior roles and women are more likely to belong, to belong in lower-paid roles in, in support um, jobs. So we kind of factor in for things like that, as well as we bring in uh, diversity and inclusion expertise to help explain some of the results. Because sometimes... As a data analyst or as someone in HR, you look at the data and you think, well, what does this mean? Yeah, I can see that it's 25%, but what does that actually mean? So we 
bring in a lot of academic expertise around yeah. diversity and inclusion to provide a narrative that explains exactly why these numbers look like that so that the person in charge can take more informed decisions and, and move and accelerate this agenda much faster. Uh, but ultimately, the point was to facilitate a, a platform that makes um, all of this data understandable in a business language and makes sense to someone who's taking business decisions. At the end of the day, the company is there to, to ensure that they um, are profitable and are building products and services for, for suitable for the market. So they want to make sure that any decisions around talent and any decisions around recruitment match with what they do. So you can you can help organizations do the regulatory reporting in the jurisdictions that they operate in yeah. and then actually do the deeper analysis to actually understand what can we do to actually not just improve the reporting, but what can we do that actually helps us with our you know, yeah. improved business results, improve employee experience, make ourselves more attractive perhaps to yeah. people that are looking at Glassdoor yeah. and other sources before they... Absolutely. Before they and so so it, it becomes kind of twofold. You look at the data for regulatory compliance and that just keeps you operational. So that's for operations. You do that, you comply, you tick a box. But we go much further in that we help companies understand their data and what it tells them in the context of diversity and inclusion and what it tells them in the context of their workforce so yeah. that they can take more informed decisions and create change. So this is where the key... Um, actions are going to come from because they are actions that we see develop through our platform that are helping organizations uh, create faster change, narrow their gender pay gaps, attract more talent and actually be more mindful and careful about how career progression happens within specific departments. Great. And, and have you got a couple of examples of how clients have, have, have used GapSquare and the some of the benefits that they've enjoyed? So we, we've seen over the past four years, uh, we've seen a lot of companies use GapSquare and we're delighted that over 90% are being able to show year on year decrease in their gender pay gap, which is showing that it's all going on the right track. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's interesting that we've also seen kind of progress take uh, to there's two sides to progress so there's short-term progress and there's more long-term progress so when we look at the short-term progress for instance there was a large organization that had about 50,000 employees and they were saying we want to look at all of our allowances and how they relate to people's performance and how we pay them and when we pay them um, and uh, what we didn't realize is that they have over 1,000 type of allowances but there you wow. go. They had over 1,000 type of allowances and they wanted to see the relationship between those allowances and gender and performance and all the others. And they had a kind of uh, gut feel about which allowances are skewed to favor men more than women. And when they ran the data through, actually, it was interesting that those were not the ones. There were other allowances, more subtle allowances that were having a much bigger impact on their overall gender pay gap. So a simple restructuring of those allowances in their rewards and compensation led to very quick short-term kind of impact. So they could make those changes, boom, you can actually see it on paper in terms of what the gaps uh, look like. And then we're talking about more long-term impact yeah. because when you start seeing that issues, there are issues around recruitment or there are issues around career progression, that takes a longer kind of approach to change. But equally, we've seen that uh, those companies take more um, a careful approach to how they view talent acquisition and talent retention and change their recruitment practices, uh, change the way they advertise their roles and how they take people on, on board. And uh, interestingly enough, we've had to do the same thing because as a company who kind of goes around and says, 
recruitment, current recruitment practices are biased and lead to the current organizational structures that we have, yeah. we need to adopt change ourselves. Um, so that's been an interesting, uh, interesting time for us. Well, that's good. We've <laughs> got to practice what you preach. Yes, absolutely. Day, so. so, so what's next on the on the fair pay uh, agenda or and wider diversity and inclusion agenda? Because obviously, it's a really important topic for organisations. You look at any list of HR trends out there, diversity and inclusion is always one of the top trends. You know, but what's what's kind of next? Where's 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 it where's it feel going? So uh, um, there's there's one word to describe it, and that's intersectionality, and that's the way we view all of the diversity and inclusion elements in one. Current research shows, for instance, that ethnicity pay gaps are higher than gender pay gaps, but when you juxtapose ethnicity to gender, that becomes significantly bigger still. Yeah. Uh, so it's about helping companies understand how all of the diversity and inclusion elements come together in their organization, how they're making the most of their talent, how they can build more diverse and inclusive teams by understanding how they operate currently and where they want to get to in the future. So it's it's kind of bringing all of them together. And the UK is introducing uh, ethnicity pay uh, reporting regulations this year. So it will be an interesting time because that data will push for companies to start looking across uh, intersectionality. And you said to bring in those two data sets together and yes. start to analyse, you know, is it even worse, you know, for ethnicity with fem- with a female part of the yeah, gender part as absolutely. well? absolutely. Yeah. And for instance, we have, we've been working with Greater London Authority and London Met Police and both of them have been looking at ethnicity data already uh, and ethnicity and gender and they, uh, their reports are publicly available to look at and and get a feel for how companies are addressing uh, these issues in London. Great. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out as as the decade as the decade goes forward. I can't believe we're in the twenty twenties now. But anyway. yeah. um, so that leads on to the question that we've asked everyone on the show today: um, What do you think the role of the HR function will be in twenty twenty five, which is scarily only five years away? <laughs> I think uh, an increasing role in building trust an increasing role in building trust between employees and the company and company and employees where it becomes more transparent and more open. And we've started by talking about Glassdoor and I can't emphasize enough how big of an impact Glassdoor is having on pushing that relationship to become more transparent. If we want to build trust and if we want to build companies that make the most of their employees and have a sustainable uh, workforce that trusts the company and is loyal to the company and helps the company grow, uh, and still be around by 2025. Yeah, and it's interesting you're saying that because um, I think it was about a year ago, Accenture published some research in, at Davos, the World Economic Forum, and it was all around the currency of trust and how that they that that the, the I think it was the 500 biggest organisations in the world could unlock a combined value of three trillion dollars if they were able to promote trust and unlock the power of the people data that they've got. So yeah, I think trust is. Definitely something that we'll see. Hopefully, see Absolutely. more of. Yeah. In, uh, in at least in the workplace, anyway, in in this decade. So, Zara, thank you very much for being a guest on the show. Um, please, can you let listeners know how they can keep in touch with you and follow you on social media, and also find out more about Gap Square? Yeah, thank you, David. Uh, thanks for having me. And listeners can get in touch by uh, finding us online, GapSquare.com. Um, equally on Twitter as GapSquare, uh, or dropping us an email on hello at GapSquare.com. Great. Zara, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app. 
share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep me able to make this podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest learning and news on the future of HR. And you can also subscribe to my newsletter there too. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Ari Ort, who's a business psychologist, and we'll be talking about the evolution of the assessment space. So don't miss that one, and I'll see you next time.